This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink, inspiring public curiosity about food. Learn more at mofad.org. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating Valentine's Day. Whether it's your favorite day of the season or you avoid it like the plague, there's no debating it's a big day for the world of food and hospitality. Valentine's Day is what we uh, refer to in the industry as a blackout day. I don't feel that my manlyhood is threatened when I order a glass of rosé or, God forbid, a rosé champagne. It's an old Jamaican drink from way back, and we just decided to bring it back into existence. It's a drink that the men, they believe it really does wonders. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Airway. So we're in this sort of midwinter slump this season right now, and um, it's a great time of year for baking, maybe maybe making some pies, uh, roasting, stewing, all kinds of cooking, hearty, hearty foods, savory foods, comforting foods. And if you think you're on a diet, or if you're on some sort of fad diet, I hope you'll stay with us, because we're about to debunk uh, some myths about one of the most villainized ingredients of the last century, Um, and that would be animal fat. So we are talking all about animal fat, how to render, cure, and cook with lard, tallow, and poultry fat. And um, my author today, I'm so grateful she is joining us because she is quite a cookbook pro. Her name is Andrea Chessman. She's dialing in today from Vermont with us. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Kathy. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. So, um, Andrea, just a little bit about your career. You've written numerous books that um, tend to do with, uh, tend to have to do with traditional techniques. So, things like pickles, um, gardening, you know, serving up the harvest was one book, the back, the backyard homestead book of kitchen know-how, and there's a pickled pantry. Um, tell me a little bit about your journey as a, as a food writer and why you decided to really talk about these sort of at-home DIY and sort of um, old-fashioned, but not, because it's really on trend these days, <laughs> too, uh, techniques. Well, I, um, I am an ex... I'm, I'm an old hippie, is what I am. <laughs> so I came to Vermont... Um, as part of the Back to the Land movement in, in the 80s, right. so at the tail end of that. Mm-hmm. And I have been gardening my entire adult life. So most of my cookbooks are not so much concerned with technique as preservation of the foods that you might grow or raise yourself. Mm-hmm. So I'm totally um, a kind of land to table. Mm. And the book that I wrote in 19, or sorry, not 19, 2015, the um, Backyard Homestead book of Kitchen Know-How, I challenged myself to um, put down onto paper everything that I know or learned about um, 
handling the foods that you might grow or raise yourself, everything from blueberries to zucchini to how to handle meats that come into your kitchen from um, either a CSA share or if you buy a half a pig share. Uh-huh. A um, whole animal of any kind, like a, a whole, whole animal chicken. of any kind, yeah. and how to do all the nose-to-tail techniques that that would involve. So I challenged myself to learn how to use animal fats mm-hmm. at that point, and I stayed with it because mm-hmm. I discovered that animal fats are so superior in terms of the taste and techniques and and textures that they offer the foods that you cook. And then I read a book called The Big Fat Surprise uh-huh. by Nina Tayshultz, and that book covers the entire history of our demonization uh-huh. of animal fats. And yeah. it was very revealing. There are hundreds of pages of footnotes in that book. She makes no claims that aren't backed up with scientific studies. And there is no connection between animal fats and um, heart disease. Amazing. And your book sort of takes it, I I guess it sounds like, on a very practical how-to level of um, you have recipes for the essentials, um, how to render, and then you have beautiful recipes for just foods you can make with it from, you know, duck fat, potatoes, Anna, to, you know, spicy and crunchy southern fried chicken with, um, you know, some some bacon fat for flavor and so many side dishes. There's and pastries galore. Um, you know, we've heard of um, leaf lard for for pastry, but you take it to another level. <laughs> so there's, you know, poultry fat galore and everything. So it sounds like this book really is the manifestation of a lot of uh, work and experimentation from you. Yes, because there are, there are a couple of books about fat out there, and certainly the, all the keto diet books are about using animal fats, but no one that I have found yeah. tells you how to actually take a piece of fat <laughs> and render it. And Everybody who eats chicken, for example, um, trims off chicken fat. Well, you can save that up and then render it like my ancestors used to and use it in your cooking. Uh. And um, duck fat has a wonderful reputation Mm -hmm. as adding flavor to foods like uh, French fries. But in fact, all poultry fats enhance flavor. It's like liquid gold, yeah. If you just saute your green beans or cook your morning eggs in uh, poultry fat, you have much more flavor, and it's delicious. So let's get into why this happened, because I'm also remembering, you know, when I um, was writing The the Food of Taiwan, um, my cookbook, uh, three years ago, and uh, I was just remembering, you know, all the street vendors would reach into a tub, pretty much anyone would be cooking using a tub of pork fat to saute, stir-fry, you know, crisp up a scallion pancake, you name it. And so it made me a little bit wistful when I was writing the recipes to use, you know, call for cooking oil and so forth. But Because um, I know that that's not done everywhere. So what happened to fat in this country, and why aren't we using it anymore like our ancestors did and people around the world? Well, there was... Um 
there were problems with um, all of our meat sources in the early 1900s. The slaughterhouses were not regulated. Okay, and so Upton there, Sinclair era. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. So there was that problem. Okay. But then Procter & Gamble, who created Crisco, also invented the entire adver- advertising industry uh-huh. with their effort to get um, Crisco adopted. And they convinced people that it was a much purer um, product. Yeah. And, and every time food manufacturers develop a process, like the process of making Crisco out of cottonseed oil and hydrogenating the oil to make it a solid at room temperature, creating trans fats... Yeah. They never have to um, have it checked for its healthy impacts. Hmm. So Crisco, there was actually beginning to be evidence that trans fats were bad for you as early as the 1960s. No way. And yet trans fats were not banned until just last year in 2018. <laughs> so animal fats and hydrogenated fats keep Baked goods fresher longer. I'm not. I don't know the chemistry of it, but uh-huh. the reason Twinkies work and stay fresh for a million years is because they have trans fats in them. Well, they can't. Well, they had trans fats. Mm-hmm. They can't use trans fats anymore. So they've developed this process called interesterification, mm-hmm. and again, it turns oils into solid fats. Um, and probably in 60 years, we're going to learn what that impact w- has been, but they don't have to test it. And it's a molecule that w- the human gut has not um, it, digested no. before. So yeah. it, you, can, you, can, you can imagine that it's going to be problematic for um, you. Yeah, that doesn't sound very appetizing also. Um, no. I think it's really interesting that the whole advent of Crisco you share in this um, book was really because they had um, Procter and Gamble had really too much palm oil and they had it cornered the actually, market. It was actually cottonseed cotton oil. Cottonseed oil. Yeah. And um, they because they were making soap with it, and then they had so much that they were like, "Okay, let's do something else with it and sell it." Exactly. It, so, <laughs> Yes, from soap to our pie crust. Yes. It doesn't make sense. And and it also doesn't make sense that we we evolved eating animal fats. Corn oil wasn't even invented until 1910. So humans have been around for a long time, but with the exception of olive oil, we've been eating animal fats. Mm-hmm. This is such a fascinating topic, too, because it really takes people back to their cultures. And, um, and there's so many different words. I love that you share um, a little bit about the names that we hear around um, culinary animal fats. So there's suet, there's tallow, maybe you've heard of schmaltz. Um, and goose fat is just, I guess, called goose fat here. <laughs> but there's, Except in, in Germany, yeah. it's, it's schmaltz. Oh, it's schmaltz too. All yes. right. So schmaltz, when we hear it, is the Yiddish. Um, the Yiddish used it for 
poultry fat, but usually we we know it as chicken fat. And that's because the um, people who lived in Eastern Europe were reliant on on goose fat. Mm-hmm. And then they migrated to America, uh-huh. and we are not a goose-raising ra- culture. So we had chicken, and yeah. So Yeah, and they adapted it. And, and it's really difficult to taste a difference between goose fat and duck fat and chicken fat, and certainly the results are very, very similar. How funny is it then that goose fat... Sold from D'Artagnan, uh, who we love, and Hudson Valley Duck. You can. It's very expensive. <laughs> and it, yeah, it, it, it is expensive, but you know, it's worth it. Yeah, it's worth it. But if you have a goose and you, you know, you you cook some duck breasts, you're going to have a lot of goose. Uh, sorry, duck fat left over. And um, and if you have a chicken, instead of trimming that fat and just throwing it out, you can save it up and make some make some schmaltz and save yourself a pretty penny. <laughs> yes. yes um, because you are going to, I mean, we do eat a lot of chicken in this country. Mm-hmm. And, and we, so it makes more sense to buy either whole chicken or chicken with skin on it. If you don't want the skin, um, use it to render fats from it. So anyone who has a whole chicken that they're about to roast tonight, what would you say they should do to preserve this and save the fat. Well, if they're going to use a whole chicken, they can reach into the cavity okay. and pull out the yellow of fat. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's fat that they can save up in the freezer um, and render when they have about a pound, a pound. Great. And you get roughly, and it's very approximate, about a pound of fat yields a, pound, a cup of, of fat. Now, it might sound a little complicated, but could you just walk us through what you mean, how do you render that fat? Render is very simple. Rendering means melting of fat and then straining out any solids or impurities and then letting it harden again. So you don't want to, like, burn or crisp too much, right? No, but if if you've roasted the whole chicken... Mm-hmm. And you take the juices, the fat will rise to the top, yeah. and you can skim it off and use it as a cooking medium. It will spoil as quickly as the cooking juices yeah. do spoil, but um, I will take the fat from a roasted anything and put it in a square plastic container so that I can turn it out when it's all hardened, and then the... um, So scoop the top fat part off. Yeah, and then I've got got something to cook with. Right, and you can transfer that to another thing. So Because the spoiling is just the juices, that's what might spoil. But the fat, how long will that last? The fat in the refrigerator, two to three months. All right. Um, lard will last about six months, and uh, beef tallow, goat tallow, sha- uh, sheep tallow will last six to nine months. And they all will last longer in the freezer. Oh, my goodness. So let's talk about what we should use for what. So obviously, you know, um, goat or lamb is going to be a little gamey tasting, but beef, um, actually, I... 
I can't help but talk about this crispier kale chips recipe that you have here. So while we're on yeah. poultry fat, why this looks amazing. You have a recipe that looks like beautiful crisp kale chips, which a lot of people make with uh, by rubbing the kale's leaves with olive oil and roasting it on pretty low temperature. Right. Um, why does goose or duck or chicken fat work better here? For two reasons. First, there's this slight flavor enhancement. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that umami, hard-to-describe quality. Sure. But second, if you, do, if you make roasted um, kale with olive oil, it will, um, there will be liquid that maybe it's just molecules of it, but it stays on the surface and eventually makes the kale chips wilt. wilt. Uh-huh. When you do it with animal fats, they don't wilt. Hmm. They stay fresh. And so they're crispy hours later. Wow. Now and that, yeah. That's counterintuitive, but right. it happens. The same thing happens with duck fat when you, or with, I'm sorry, with popcorn. I can make a batch of popcorn oh my goodness. with uh, duck fat, and three days later, it's still fresh. That's amazing. All right. So fat is the new butter <laughs> for a lot of things. Um, well, you know, butter is, uh, has 15% uh, water. Water, yes. And I didn't realize that about olive oil, too. So provided you skim all the fat from the juices of a chicken fat or what have you, then it's pretty much just all fat. Is that right? It's, it's all fat, yes. All and, right. and, 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 and if you render it by pulling off chunks of um, raw fat off the chicken or you trim it off the chicken and you render it, that's solid fat. Hmm. So you want to make sure that there's no meat in your pieces when you're doing that, right? And Well, when you're rendering it, you end up... Um, I, I always have skin... Mm-hmm. that I also render with the fat because there's a, a lot of the fat is in the skin. So then um, with poultry fats, after you render off the fat and you strain it, what's left in the strainer are little bits of chicken. And you can put that in a skillet with some onion Ooh. and um, cook it down some more until it's very crispy. Huh. And... Um, it's called, there's various words to describe it. It's called greaves. It's oh. called gribbons. Oh, my goodness. Um, I think those are the two names I know of it. And it's the snackiest snack <laughs> you, <laughs> you ever want. I mean, oh my it's goodness. just, and you salt it. And uh-huh. it's delicious, um, uh, sprinkled on salads. I was going to say, you could it, sprinkle it on your pasta, maybe. Yes. Oh, instead of breadcrumbs. Yes. So much better. And it's absolutely irresistible. Oh, my goodness. Magic I'm, ingredient. Yeah. Yes. I am just so excited right now. Um, uh, I want to talk more about lardo, suet, and tallow, um, but we're going to cut to a quick little commercial break, and we'll be right back chatting more. This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. Featuring a variety of interactive displays, MOFAD encourages eaters of all ages to be curious about food. 
The museum currently operates MOFAD Lab, a 5,000-square-foot experimental space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where Chow, making the Chinese-American restaurant, is currently on show until the end of March 2019. This exhibition celebrates the birth and evolution of Chinese-American restaurants, tracing their nearly 170-year history and sparking conversations about food culture, immigration, and what it means to be American. It highlights the evolution timeline of Chinese-American restaurant menus, dating back to 1910, and also highlights a tasting section where participants get to enjoy tastings created by the country's most talented chefs who specialize in Chinese-American cuisine. Make sure you check out Chow while you still can. The exhibition closes at the end of March 2019. Check out MOFAD's tastings and extensive event calendar at mofad.org events. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Lisa Held, and I'm the host of The Farm Report here on HRN. The Farm Report is a show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. Expect from the field insights as guests explore how producing fresh, delicious food relates to environmental and community sustainability, justice, and better health. You can find The Farm Report wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Okay, and we're back with Andrea Chessman, veteran cookbook author. Her latest is all about fats. It's called unapologetically, the fat kitchen. So we were just talking about uh, chicken fat, duck fat, a lot of poultry fats and the uses, and the uses for the byproducts of rendering it, which sounds amazingly delicious. Um, But uh, maybe you've heard of lardo. I think that's one uh, thing that has been popularized by chefs. Um, It is... Tell me what what exactly is it? Well... It's interesting because it's two different things. Mm. In Italy, lardo is exclusively cured back fat. Mm -hmm. And they do it in a very specific way in marble boxes with herbs. And it's cured for like three years. And, And it serves sliced paper thin and just melts in your mouth. It's an amazing flavor, texture, experience. In this country, I have ordered lardo and had it be basically back, not cured back fat that has been rendered, or not rendered, Uh but it's been ground up and then whipped with herbs. Ooh, whipped lardo. And it's like a a butter. Butter, yeah. An herb butter. I see. And, um... And either way, it's amazingly delicious. And this is with pork when we're talking about lardo? Yes. So all animals, um, put, including ourselves, put down fat in a very specific way mm-hmm. as we develop. Okay. So first, fat is laid down around our, our internal organs to protect oh. them. Uh-huh. And then fat is laid um, under our skin. Right. So with pork, they get a very thick layer of, of fat under their back skin, and that's called back fat. Mm. And that's the fat that is often cured to make salt pork, which is an important um, flavoring cooking yes. medium in um, 
the American South and in New England. And um, then there's pork belly, which has a lot of fat that's made into bacon. Bacon. Often. And then um, the leaf lard is the fat that is around the internal organs. Mm. And that's the lard that makes the best uh, pastries. Now, tell me about that. Why does it make the best pastries? Because everyone these days uses butter, and there's a lot of people who swear by butter making the best pastry crust. So why is lard, leaf lard the best? Because it has a higher melting temperature. So butter melts at uh, 98.6 degrees. It melts in our mouths. Okay. So you put the butter, uh-huh. you put the pastry in the oven, and the butter melts pretty quickly because the oven's at 350, and it melts at 98 degrees. And if you've ever made cookies that have spread out too much, uh-huh. it's because the cookie dough went into the oven with too the warm. butter at too warm a yeah. temperature. Got it. So with... Um, with lard, which has a melting temperature of 112 to 115 degrees, there's going to be time for the pastry, the proteins in the pastry, to set up. Hmm. And then the fat melts, and when it melts, it leaves an air pocket. Ah. But you can actually make a crust with any animal fat. Yes. I um, love that you have recipes for that. Tell me a little bit more. Why? Well, if you're using the poultry fats, which do have a lower melting temperature, you have to put them in the freezer before you pop them in the okay. oven. Uh-huh. And they're a little bit harder to work with. If you've ever made an olive oil crust, yeah. you know that that isn't as easy to handle as a butter or lard crust. I see. So it takes a little bit more finessing and fussing, <laughs> but lard is so easy to use, it's amazing. I love that it also adds flavor because we all love that savory contrast when there's a sweet filling in a pie. So, um, for instance, you have duck fat caramelized apple tart, which just sounds like such a great combination. It's Um, very decadent. (laughs) Decadent. (laughs) And then, of course, you have, you know, the savory pies like beef, um, you know, meat pies. um, And then there's just... Baked goods like blueberry muffins and banana bread. Um, with y- yes, anything that, um, any type of recipe that uh, was developed using vegetable oils, like carrot cake usually has oil in it. Yes. You can just use um, lard in the same way, just melt it. My goodness. In the microwave and use it as a liquid. Now, what lard would you use for a cake? Like that. Well, it turns out it doesn't matter. It, <laughs> I can use melted um, pork, chicken. Oh, well, I usually use in baked goods when I want it to be neutral. Uh-huh. I use lard. Okay, so I say because I get uh, poultry fats in smaller quantities. I mean, yeah. a, a pig yields a lot of lard. <laughs> sure, um, that's true. So I te- I tend to save my poultry fats. For uh, stovetop cooking, where it enhances flavor, okay. and also, but also for roasting vegetables. Right, right. But you could roast vegetables in the neutral fats, like from lard. Um, Absolutely. Okay. And uh, what about beef? 
beef tallow? What's the best use for those? Well, beef tallow has um, a slight tendency to leave a waxy residue in the mouth. I personally can't detect it. My husband is a super taster. He's a wonderful person, but he's incredibly annoying. So he can perceive (laughs) the texture of the tallow. Yeah, no more than you would when you eat a steak, you know, a well-marbled steak. Right. I I know what you're talking about, yeah. and, um, And if you recall, McDonald's, when they started out... Um, exclusively use tallow Mm. for frying their French fries. that's right. And in England, England is a very um, tallow-friendly or suet-based culinary (laughs) world. And they, at fish and chip shops, they use tallow to fry their fish. Mm. And the reason they do that is because any animal fat will... um, it forms almost like a hardened shell on the on the fried food, mm. whereas if you fry in oil, it sits on the food, yeah. and eventually it um, gets soaked in. Whereas the um, at room temperature, these animal fats go solid, and mm. so they're not soaked into the food. You know, so if they're drained properly, um, they're not greasy. You know, I think it's unfortunate that a lot of people do recall beef tallow from things like fast food, which is not, you know, obviously, it, to begin with, French fries from McDonald's are not the healthiest thing for you. And then, you know, of course, they took out the tallow, so it doesn't have, you know, a very good association there either. But with the recipes in your book, you make it so natural and um, to cook anything with these fats. That is, seems to be forgotten. I'm curious, Andrea, um, since you're uh, a hippie <laughs> and um, you live in Vermont and you've written so much about you know vegetables, gardening, pickling, I'm curious about the reception you've gotten from this book so far. Well, the reception in Vermont has been phenomenal. That's great. Um, and... Uh, it's been great, but I and I have gotten a wonderful review from the New York Times. Mm-hmm. But That's the awesome. national media have been slow to pick it up. Yeah. I think they're scared of it. I don't get that. Yeah. I don't get it either. But <laughs> mainstream not- medical advice is still to go low fat. Yeah, and the problem with and. And I don't have a problem with the idea of going lower in fat, but if you are going to go lower in fat, there's a lot of reasons to go with animal fats rather than polyunsaturated oils because they come with a whole host of problems and they are really associated with increasing inflammatory processes, which is what heart disease is. Hmm. And what about butter head to head? Is there is there you know any is beef or any animal fats better or worse when it comes to? Uh, I um, I feel not. I feel I, I have read and understand <laughs> that pasture raised animals are higher in omega threes, the good fatty acids hey. like salmon, yeah. than factory raised animals. 
So you really want your butter and your animal fats to come from pasture, pasture-raised mm-hmm. animals. So butter is, um, is slightly higher in saturated fats than, say, lard, and it also contains the, the water that has to be evaporated out, which is why um, a lot of high-end pastry books recommend European butters. Yes. So it just gives different results. Right. Okay. And I don't spend a lot of time with butter because it's it's so easy to find information about how to cook with it. Yeah. And... I, I think that butter has gotten a revival. Everyone's praising it these days because it was one of those ingredients that, you know, was similarly maligned and due to the margarine, you know, industry for a while there. But um, I, I think that, you know, animal fats, it's, it's time to start talking about it some more. Yes, indeed. And um, I, I, I seriously think this book is um, such a a wonderful resource for anyone who is interested in um, how to just render these things, but also why and um, providing that sort of background on this forgotten wisdom, really. Because when you have fat, when you have an animal, you have this free product, which is cooking fat. Right. And when I, I can find, I can go to farmers in Vermont, I can go to the farmer's market and say to anyone who's raising animals, hey, do you happen to have any fat in your freezer? They're trimmed, yeah. And, and they always say, oh, I have so much. <laughs> so this summer I plan to uh, partner up with some farmers oh, and um, try and promote the use of the, the fat that way. That's and, exciting. And I know the, I'm trying to encourage young farmers to grow some geese in this country. <laughs> Um, because the goose fat is so wonderful, yeah. and the goose is good too, but people don't know how to how use it. Cook it. Well, they're afraid of all that fat, perhaps. Yes. <laughs> we need to start there, maybe, <laughs> and then we'll use. We'll have more geese. Um, I love it, um, Andrea. This is such a wonderful book. I hope that more people uh, wake up to its message. And I'm curious, Andrea, since you've written so many books by now, are you working on another one and any um, topic to share? I, I, I am an empty vessel right okay. now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I have really uh, covered the territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and right now I just want to work on promoting the book and yes. trying to to get more people to discover what I've discovered about animal fats. Well, I'm definitely going to be helping singing, um, singing this book's praises because I don't understand why we're not talking uh, a lot more about it. But um, I'm so grateful that you could join us on this show today. Well, thank you. It's too cold outside anyway. <laughs> um, I love that there's... Um, more than 100 recipes in this book and uh, from everything from just, you know, saving beautiful mason jars of uh, liquid gold or solid gold to um, using it in savory and sweet applications. So um, well done. Amazing job, Andrea. And uh, yeah, I hope everyone checks out The Fat Kitchen. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andrea. And thanks everyone at Heritage Radio Network. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words.
Your Words is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com backslash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.